Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products including Kratom, CBD, and the new Delta 8 capsules. When you order online at abotanicalcompany.com, use the discount code ColbyShow, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W. Discount code ColbyShow to save 15% off your online order. Again, abotanicalcompany.com. Uh, it's easy and safe pickup. They have a drive through that's now open, so really simple to pick up at their location. Uh, but make sure you order online. Use the discount code Colby Show for 15% off your online order at abotanicalcompany.com. All right, today's guest on the Colby Daniels podcast, Will Brewer. Will Brewer, what is happening, my friend? It is Friday. Um, I, you know, we've gotten so accustomed to these Fridays before a UFC card, and the UFC has the week off, so... Uh, between that and your Packers falling short, uh, what are you going to do this weekend? Oh, man. My Packers, man, let me down. Uh, congrats to Tampa Bay, Bucks and Chiefs in the Super Bowl. But, you know, this weekend is a pretty slow weekend. So I, I guess I'll just uh, be watching some NBA basketball this weekend. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I was, uh, I, I told you, I felt really confident the Packers were going to win. So uh, to watch them just struggle and look so unsharp throughout that game. Uh, I mean, I, I know that the field goal thing is is kind of what most people walk away with. And maybe the, the collapse at the end of the first half. I mean, there were a couple of just really big boneheaded plays between giving up the touchdown, not going for the touchdown and all of that. But I just, I thought from start to finish, Green Bay just, struggled from a you know mistake standpoint I mean they just made small mistakes throughout the entire game that I thought really contributed to Tampa Bay being able to control the the you know the game really from start to finish other than Brady giving a few uh interceptions away yeah man I agree uh Green Bay just didn't look sharp at all like you said uh, Aaron Rodgers I mean he didn't look as sharp I mean you're used to seeing that offense just click uh, time and time again, and it just didn't seem like they had it. Um, and then they had chances in the second half to get back in the game. Uh, Brady was throwing interceptions, and then you would just think, okay, this is the one when A-Rod's going to take us over the top. And then time after time, three and out, three and out. And, uh, you know, it was every you know every time I'm just like, A-Rod, here it is, and then it just it never came. <laughs> and uh, he had a chance to run in a touchdown, but he uh, just tried to force it into Devontae Adams there. I mean, it was – it was just tough, man. But then I want—I also want to say, you know, the rest was kind of, you know, um, my receivers on the line. You know, they were kind of really touching us, man, not letting us get through. And then, uh, but on, on Tampa Bay side, they were giving us the pass interference. So I'm like, yeah. okay, um, is this rigged or what are we doing? Are the rest just not paying attention? So, I mean, they had their chances, but, uh, you know, Tom Brady, you know, when you give him too many chances to ice the game, he's going to take advantage of it. And, you know, he's He's such an experienced quarterback that uh, give him too many chances, he's going to walk away with it, man. Uh, before we go any further, for those that are watching, it looks like you are sinking in quicksand in, in oh, the frame. No. Like It's like slowly. Uh, just, like my, just, like, just like my Green Bay Packers. <laughs> <laughs> um, <Okay. laughs> so, yeah, no, I'm, I, I'm with you, man. It was, uh, you know, obviously the, the interception at the end of the first half was, should have been a penalty, and I think that's what most people had an issue with as far as the um, – the penalty that that kept Tampa's drive alive at the end, right? It was it was not not disputing that it wasn't a penalty, but they had basically let that go the entire game, and then with the game on the line, they decided that's when they wanted to start penalizing it. 
Exactly. They're letting them play a little bit, and then you expect the same call on the other side, but then, you know, they throw the flag, which, I mean, that one was was blatant. I think it was uh, Kevin King who was holding him, holding his jersey. I mean, that was pretty blatant. Yeah. But on the other end, it's the same thing. So, I mean, you would have liked to see it called both ways, but, I mean, what can you do at the end of the day? Yeah. You got to, you got to, you still got to convert uh, when you got that many opportunities. So, yeah, for sure. Um, the NBA, obviously, you know, you're a big NBA guy, and, and uh, we'll, we'll touch on that throughout uh, the NBA season as well. But, I just got to tell you, man, like I'm, I'm having such a hard time just really getting fired up about the NBA. And, and I, th- I, you know, this is kind of a, for anybody that's listened to me for a long time, they kind of know this about me. Like when, when the NBA is the thing that's going on, I'm totally into the NBA and I'm a big NBA fan, but I don't really make that transition into being an NBA fan until like football's over. It just, you know, because there are just so many games and, you know, as far as I guess, how important these games are at this point of the year to me it just it's so irrelevant whether you know somebody wins on a tuesday night that i just i have i have a hard time just really being excited about uh any matchup but i mean you know on a rare instance that you get uh Kyrie Irving and James Harden and Kevin Durant making their debut together, then, you know, I'm right in front of the television and I'm watching that. But it, it, it takes something pretty special this time of year to to really get me excited about a matchup. I'm, I'm the same way, man. And I didn't I wasn't sure if it was like maybe the fans not being there or, you know, just something that just didn't seem right about the whole season. But yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. You know, some of these matchups that are on national TV, are just like, eh, you know, you know, it's, it's okay. You know, they'll have uh, Golden State and Minnesota, and you're just like, eh, you know, I'll watch Steph, but, you know, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not, my eyes aren't going to be glued to the TV like it would yeah. be if it was a uh, Brooklyn and LA, you know, something like that. Um, I did watch uh, LA and Philadelphia. Uh, I felt like that was a pretty fun matchup. But, you know, outside of that, there's not many uh, matchups out there that just seem that intriguing. There's a lot of good storylines and everything, but, you know, right now with, um, all the COVID stuff going on and teams not having all their full rosters and uh, uh, some of the best guys not even being out there, you know, it kind of takes away from the mystique yeah. of the season. And, um, you know, you just hope moving forward that, you know, they can get through this and there's not really a stoppage to the season or anything. But, you know, with, with the way that it's looking, it's not looking good. So... I was I was actually excited about the Thunder hosting the Nets tonight, and uh, then we find out KD's not even going to be out there. So, I mean, you know, not that there aren't still superstars for the Nets, but you know, there's something special about watching the three of those guys play and everything that we we've talked about. You know, how, how is all that going to continue to work and evolve? And and certainly at this point, you know, nobody's feelings are hurt about any aspect of it. But you never know when ultimately that might become something. But uh, yeah, Kevin Durant, I guess, uh, hasn't played in Oklahoma City since, like, 2018, I read today. It, it doesn't shock me, right? Because, you know, him, Kevin Durant and the city of Oklahoma, I don't think uh, I don't think the relationship is really mended. You know, yeah. I don't think that, you know, it's fixed. Well, you know, so um, it doesn't surprise me that he doesn't want to, you know, come here and I guess face the music every time he comes, but I mean, there's no fans. So what, what could possibly go wrong? He's not going to be hearing any right, cupcake chants. Right. I mean, unless they're going on in his head, but I mean, yeah, I mean, he's not going to hear no cupcake chants or anything. So he should be out there playing, but you know, you have to be um, aware of his, you know, Achilles yeah. and everything. So, um, 
he's still taking it easy. You know, they're trying to still trying to ease him in. But, you know, when he does play, he's playing high minutes. Uh, and they're going into overtime every game because they can't stop anybody. So, yeah. I mean, uh, but I guess, I guess he has to have some rest sooner or later. So, um, I, I saw on Twitter a conversation about uh, the MVP and just kind of who people might be rallying around this year because obviously your performance helps in terms of who gets the MVP, but it also feels very narrative-driven every year, and it kind of feels like there's always like a guy that, that you know is pointed toward as like, well, if he does it on the court, he's going to be our guy. If it's close, that's the guy that you know we're gonna we're gonna back. And I I feel like sometimes it's almost it's almost predetermined, if you will. Like, you know, again, the guy the guy has to perform, but uh, if he does, then you know it doesn't feel like anybody's gonna get in their way when when it's kind of like that guy's turn. And I kind of feel like maybe this is the Kevin Durant season. Ah, man. I mean, I feel that. I feel like that's uh, where the um, sentimental vote is because right. he just came off the uh, Achilles and everything. But despite how well he's playing, I don't think that he's been better than Joel Embiid, man. I feel like he's the MVP. He's my MVP so far. And then you still you got to look at what LeBron James has been doing. For sure. Kevin Durant, he's up, he's up there. But I feel like there's just... You know, between those two guys, and then with their record being what it is yeah. in Philadelphia, they're at the top of the East right now. L.A. Um, Lakers are at the top of the West, so he's got some work to do. I mean, he's looking good right now. He's averaging thirty. I mean, he just came off of Achilles, which is it's incredible. No one's ever done what he's done. So I guess the the storylines work in his favor. Yeah. But Joel Embiid, I mean, he's been scoring thirty and fifteen against you know, against the Lakers and against the Celtics been dominating. So yeah, I like Embiid, but you know, I know it's, it's, it's going to be close. Yeah. I, I wasn't saying like he's the front runner or anything. I just, I think that there is the beginning of that, you know, let's back Kevin Durant movement happening. And, and uh, again, if he's able to finish out strong and it's a, it's a close one, then um, you know, that, that uh, I don't know. I just, I get that feeling. I get the feeling like uh, the, the national media is uh, kind of starting to line up for Kevin Durant to, to make an MVP run. So, do, do you think that he'll uh, lose votes or anything because he's got James Harden and Kyrie Irving as teammates? Like the way Steph and Katie didn't really get MVP votes when they were teammates, and uh, LeBron James and Anthony Davis, that type of thing. I think that if he's averaging around thirty points a game with those two guys being as ball dominant as they are. Um, I, True. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I think he'll be fine. You know, the part of the problem is when you have all those stars that sometimes, you know, the, statistically you suffer a little bit. And, you know, instead of having a bunch of 30-point scorers, you may have, you know, a bunch of guys that are all averaging about 22 to 25 each. Uh, but if, yeah, if Kevin Durant's still averaging around 30 points a game with, with both of those guys on his team, I that's pretty damn impressive. That is impressive. I mean, unless they're losing every night, then, you know, it's kind of irrelevant. But, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we'll see. If, yeah, if they just get to, if they're in the top two, three, I can definitely see them. Him being MVP for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's talk UFC. We don't have a card this weekend, uh, which is a little bit disappointing. But uh, you know, obviously, the next couple months are going to be massive. There are some massive cards. There are some massive main event fights. There are a bunch of championship fights over the next two months. Like the next sixty days, basically. Uh, we have some blockbusters happening, and then we've you know we've had some big news this week as well about some things that are going to happen a little bit later. 
um, in the the spring and maybe early summer. But uh, to rewind a little bit, we hadn't really had the t- the chance to discuss the pay per view from last Saturday night, Poirier McGregor. Which, by the way, we both picked Dustin Poirier to to get the upset. Um, you know, I, I I think I was a little bit more conflicted about it than you were, um, and and our. Uh, our pick'em represented that with our, our point values. But, um, <laughs> right. you know, at the end of the day, for me at least, this was just a situation where I think they're both elite fighters. And I'll get your opinion on Connor and whether you think he's done or not in a second. But I just felt like they're both elite fighters. And one of them has had a bunch of wars at 155 and has, has really just stayed fine-tuned at his craft. And the other one's kind of just been in and out of of the sport in the last five years. And so t- for me, it just kind of felt like one of these guys probably in a much better position physically and mentally to take on whatever challenge was going to be thrown his way in the octagon versus the other guy. I completely agree. Um, Dustin has been through, he's seen so many wars since the, they fought the first time he moved up to lightweight and immediately he's thrown into, he's thrown in with the sharks. And just within these last couple of years, he's had uh the big title fight with Khabib. He's had wars with Gaethje. He's had wars with Alvarez, Holloway, um, Anthony Pettis, uh, Dan Hooker. I mean, you, you name it. He's beaten the who's who of the division, and he's been active. Whereas Connor, he's been in and out. You know, year break here, year break there. You know, not really being active. And the sports kind of evolved, um, striking wise. Yeah. You know, just all around. To where, you know, Connor hasn't seen some of these things. And when he did get back into the octagon, um, he didn't really get a chance to feel anything because he beat Cerrone so fast. So, um, you know, I, it just goes to show, like, just like he said, you know, he's got to be act more active. Uh, the sport has evolved. And um, Poirier definitely showed how elite he is because he beat Connor at his own game. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it was uh, – it was – a master class in terms of a game plan and overall execution, right? Like he just, he chopped away at the leg and he surprised Connor with the takedown and it, it all just kind of, you know, built this, this, uh, this perfect, I think confusion in Connor's mind as far as what was, what was coming next. And, uh, you know, when you add obviously the leg situation, um, yeah, I, I I just I watched that and I was like Dustin Poirier is putting together just a, a I mean this is this is perfection as far as what he needed to do to, against Conor McGregor. Absolutely, the build up to the fight was Dustin was saying I want it, I want it to be a war I want us to be bleeding I want you know this knockdown drag out affair and everything so that you know the fight gets to start get started and Conor is not really thinking about the takedown so it is it is brilliant of Dustin Poirier to, to surprise him with that takedown so then. Connor did a good, a good job backing up to the fence, getting back up. So, but now his mind is, okay, he, he might shoot. You know, he might, you know, what's going to happen next? And then Dustin did a great job of attacking the calves after that. And after a while, you know, Connor, you know, his karate stance, his his front leg, is it's there. You know, it's, it's right there for the taking. And Dustin chopped away at it with uh, expertise. Yeah. I mean, every, every time you could just feel the sound was so loud and – you know, after a while, you take that same kick to that spot. I mean, and he took a lot of them to Connor's credit. I think he took about uh, 20 of them. Um, I mean, he took them as best as he could. But after a while, that that leg's just going to go, man. It's going to go. And uh, it totally 
obliterates your ability to move. Like, and you saw after a while, after Connor took too many, he was just a sitting duck, and Dustin was able to tee off and get the finish. It was, it was, it was an expert performance by Dustin Poirier. Yeah. Truly masterful game plan. You know, I this is a guy that I'm. I'm just glad that the casual UFC fans that may may not have had a great idea as to who he was. Uh, maybe they know the name, but they're not super familiar with him. Um, you know, there were so many people, obviously, that tuned in to UFC 257 because Conor McGregor, right? Like, he's a name that is so much bigger than just the UFC world. Anybody that 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 has any, like, even the smallest ounce of interest in the sport is going to pay attention when Conor's on the card versus if if he's not. So, I think a lot of people, I, I just appreciated the fact that, and Michael Chandler applies to this as well, that a lot of people got to see both of those guys that are, you know, cream of the crop in the most talented division in the sport on display on a Conor McGregor card, whereas, you know, maybe most of the people watching wouldn't have had any idea as to how how talented both of those guys are. Right, and and Dustin, he's been through the sport for a long time, and so he didn't look at this as, this is a Conor McGregor fight, this is a Conor McGregor card, and this is the biggest fight of my life. He looked at this as this is just another step for me to, to prove that I'm the best in the world. And not a lot of people really view it that way. So I kind of compare it to uh, when I first became a UFC fan. I watched it because I knew who Brock Lesnar was. And he was such a massive star that, you know, I didn't know how good that Cain Velasquez was. Right. When, right. So when the, when, the, when the matchup was set, Brock Lesnar, Cain Velasquez, people were asking me who I thought was going to win. I was like, oh, Brock Lesnar, because I had no idea who Cain Velasquez was. So then the fight, the fight happens between them and Velasquez completely dominates him. And, I, and I'm just like, oh, so, you know, Brock Lesnar's not as good as I thought he was. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, so now I'm becoming more of a fan of the sport and – uh, I'm, I'm a hardcore fan now, yeah. and I talked to some of the casuals who just watch it every now and again. They know who Conor McGregor is, and they're like, "He's gonna smoke Dustin Poirier." And I'm, and I kind of ask them, like, "Do you know who Dustin Poirier is?" And they're like, "No, but I know Conor McGregor <laughs> does right, this. Right. You know, Conor, Conor McGregor knocked out what's his name in 14 seconds and everything." So um, it's great that you see Dustin Poirier get a knockout like this because. You know, people see Conor McGregor and they kind of think like, oh, Conor's done, Conor's done. No, that's not the case at all. That's just how good Dustin Poirier is. Great. Dustin Poirier is a phenomenal fighter. He's been doing this a long time, and he's definitely one of the best lightweights in the world. Yeah. My Twitter timeline before the fight was full of Conor's about to dominate this guy tweets, and my Twitter timeline yeah. after the fight was... Conor McGregor's done and needs to needs to retire and needs to maybe go back to boxing and just a bunch of this nonsense. And again, I, I, these are both elite guys, in my opinion. I, I don't think that uh, him getting knocked out by Dustin Poirier, A, is, is you know, retirement worthy. Dustin Poirier's finished, the you know, some of the best fighters, obviously, in the sport. He has wins over Absolutely. Gaethje and Max Holloway and, you know, Eddie Alvarez back in the I mean, the resume for Dustin Poirier is second to none in that division. Uh, well, I guess second to Habib, but uh, yeah, you know, only second Habib's not there anymore. So I guess, uh, yeah, second to none in 155 with Habib retired. So um, yeah, it's just it's it's not necessarily a bad thing that he lost to Poirier. And and again, you know, going back to my initial statement, I think the diff where I landed on this, the difference between these guys and picking a fighter was Poirier has been extremely active, and he's been through wars, and he's faced a bunch of different challenges and a bunch of adversity. 
And, and it just kind of felt like he was built for this moment and he was ready for this moment. And, you know, Conor McGregor, I, I just don't think with this, with 155 being where it is right now that you can just kind of halfway be into it and think you're just going to go through the gauntlet of guys at the top of that division without being, you know, in the octagon regularly. It's just, it's just not going to happen. There, there are too many talented guys, too many championship caliber guys in that division to just think you can kind of halfway do it. And like at the end of the day, you look at that thing. It was Conor McGregor's third fight at that weight. And he now has a losing record at that weight. So, right. you know, it's, Absolutely. it's again, I, I think that he's just got to be more active. I, I could certainly see him back in the title picture very soon. Um, I, I still think he's a very dangerous fighter. Poirier even mentioned like he felt the power in that fight. He said, I think on two separate occasions, Connor's left got through, and and he said he kind of felt a flash uh, on impact. So again, I think Connor's still a very dangerous guy, and and you don't want to take him lightly because you'll end up on the canvas. Uh, but you know he he's he's just he's not going to be able to compete with the elite of that division if he's fighting once a year. And certainly, you know when when the last one was against Cowboy and it lasted a minute. Um, I mean, essentially, he hasn't been in the octagon in forever. Uh, so yeah, I, I think Conor McGregor is very much alive and well in the sport. Uh, it, you know, he, he obviously needs to get a win and get some positive momentum going again, but I, I don't think by any means he's done at all. Conor McGregor is still elite. So you got You have to think, um, like I said, the striking has evolved in this sport and Conor has been away. His last fight was against Khabib, but how much striking are you actually trying to right. do? When you're fighting Khabib, you're worried about grappling. You're not really letting loose because you have to worry about his his uh, his takedown. So before that, he boxed Floyd Mayweather. Before that, he fought Eddie Alvarez. So he's probably so it's probably been three years since Connor's really thought about striking at an at a at an elite level like that. To where he's got to train for a guy like Dustin Poirier who brings who has so many different weapons. Yeah, and Calf kicks weren't. I'm not going to say calf kicks, calf kicks weren't a thing, but they weren't as popular as they were now when he fought right. Eddie Alvarez. Agreed. And and now calf kicks are are a big part of the sport. And Connor being so heavy on that lead on that lead leg, there it just seemed like Connor wasn't. You know he he wasn't moving around. He wasn't his normal loose self. He kind of seemed. It seemed like he wasn't as confident. He wasn't as sure of himself. I feel like he was really, really um, dependent on his left instead of using his kicks. He's had, He's got lethal kicks himself, but it seemed like he was so um, w- worried about landing that left and making Dustin, you know, knocking Dustin out that he became sort of like a, um, Tyron Woodley. When he, Tyron Woodley depends on that right hand. Yeah. And when you depend on that right hand so much, what else are you bringing to the table? That's kind of what it seemed like. Uh, Connor didn't seem as loose. He didn't seem as um, sure of himself in there. And I think that just goes to his inactivity when he's having to think so much on his feet with Dustin taking him down and with Dustin starting to attack, attack his legs and still Dustin was landing some good shots as well with his boxing. So he had to worry about so many different things when he's not really used to it. And I feel like it, it just, it all added up and, you know, he, he said it himself, you know, he needs rounds. I mean, he, he said it from the lead up all the way to the pro fight um, press conference. He needs rounds. He needs um, 
Uh, he needs fights. You know, he wanted to have a war, uh, but then again, he wanted to get a, a quick knockout. But I think now he understands, like, this is what I need to to get better. Because he was saying before the fight, you know, uh, greatness, I'm levels above these guys. But the sport has evolved since he's been gone. And these guys have started to catch him with the, with the striking. So I think um, he's really had to look at himself in the mirror. And I think this it's only going to help him. Because now he's, he's got a chip on his shoulder and he's going to want to improve. But then again, you know, everyone's saying, you know, he's got so much money. Is he really going to want to do this? I think after taking a knockout loss like that, a guy like Conor McGregor is going to want to come back and prove that he's still one of the best in the world. Yeah. I, I Look, I, for the people that question whether he's hungry or not, I mean, I, I think it's just human nature. If you're a if if you're worth a hundred million dollars versus, you know, like scrapping to, to get by. Uh, there's obviously, you know, there's a difference. No matter which way you cut it, there's a, there's just inherently like a, a a difference inside of you when you know like your next meal. I, and I don't mean that like literally, but when your next meal's on the line versus you know knowing you have a refrigerator full of food at home. You know what I mean? Like it just I, I, there is something to that. But again, I, I don't think that it that just takes away the the competitive drive from him. I, I think he still wants to be the best uh, and. I expect him to be back. We'll see what ultimately happens and, and the way they decide to play this thing with Conor McGregor. And before we kind of go with what's next, let's hit the Michael Chandler knockout real fast because I, I think Dana even said this in the post-presser. He couldn't think of a more impressive UFC debut when you consider what was at stake, the, you know, the, the fact that you're the co-main event on a Conor McGregor card and the fact that uh, he he got to finish the way that he did. I mean, it was it was very very impressive for Michael Chandler against a guy that was considered to be a bad matchup. Man, Michael Chandler the whole fight week, the press conference, the uh, when he walked out to the octagon, he just seemed so calm and so loose. Like he knew what was, he knew what to expect of this moment. Like he didn't. Uh, it, there wasn't too much pressure on his shoulders. He wasn't taking it as serious. He just seems so loose, so ready. He's coming to the octagon, kind of dancing, kind of you know, just it, just enjoying the moment. And he got into the octagon, and I'm thinking, man, you know, I don't know if he knows like what Dan. Hook, I don't know if he's ready for what Dan Hugger's gonna bring. Like Dan Hugger's gonna bring a war to him. As soon as the fight started, he he takes the center of the octagon, and he's pursuing. Uh, he's got Dan Hooker, you know, just skipping around and like kind of watching him, yeah. you know, seeing what what's gonna happen. I think he expected Michael Chandler to shoot. I don't think he really thought like Michael Chandler was going to come at me with a big haymaker. Right. I think he was preparing for the shot. And Lord behold, goodness, Michael Chandler came across and just, oh my gosh, it was picture perfect and dropped him. I, I got up out my seat and I'm just like, oh my gosh, you know, he got him. And I was really, I was really confident that Dan Hooker was going to go out there and just, uh, bring him a war and beat him, uh, probably in a decision. Yeah. But I did not expect Michael Chandler to uh, go out there and perform like that. Like Dana said, it was as good of a debut as there's ever been in UFC. I mean, you, you think of the debuts that there's been, you see um, Anderson Silva against Chris Lieben was great. Uh, Alistair Overeem against Brock Lesnar was great. And this one uh, ranks right up there because the enormity of the fight, knowing that this division is wide open, not knowing what Khabib's going to do. And he goes out there and just completely dominates um, 
Dan Hooker and gets him out of there. It was it was very impressive. Yeah. I, I heard an interview with Dan Hooker the week of the fight, and he basically just said with Chandler's style, he was like, this is going to be easy work for me because he's going to come to me. I don't have to go forward. I can sit back and let my length be the difference. And, you know, as he's coming forward, my length is going to pay off. And uh, I, I'm with you. I think he just he, – he was not expecting the shot that came, and he thought that Chandler was going to shoot in. And, you know – one got through and landed, and it was it was just game over, and you know it, it never really got started. Uh, for, I think on Dan Hooker's end, so that was I, I, on one aspect. I'm kind of disappointed that we didn't get to see a little bit more and get to see them actually like engage against each other a little bit. At the same time, uh, to get a knockout like that in your UFC debut, I mean that is the the ultimate. Hey, let's elevate this guy right to the top of the division, uh, which kind of takes us to what's next at 155 because. Poirier said in the post-presser that they, that he guaranteed, in fact, he said, I guarantee Michael Chandler will not be my next fight. We know that Poirier's in the driver's seat for the belt, whoever that's against. Um, if, if there, There's kind of two different conversations to have, I, I think, here. Because if you ask me, if I'm in charge of giving fans the best possible matchup to make money, I think that Right now, it's Poirier Chandler, without question. I, I don't think you could put together another fight at 155 that would be as big a draw as Poirier and Chandler. At the same time, if you just if you ask me, looking at this from like a, you know, we need to do for for what's best for the sport and the way the way that this needs to be handled. I mean, I think some of Poirier's comments about Chandler are are true. Like, I get where he's coming from as far as saying, like, there are, like, five or six guys in this division that deserve championship opportunities that have been waiting their turn in a stacked division. And for this guy to come in and fight one guy that Poirier has also beat, I mean, should that that elevate him to the top? Again, if it wasn't in impressive fashion, I don't even know that we're having this conversation. But because it happened the way that it did, from a draw standpoint, it's the fight to make. But... You know, how how pissed would you be if you were on Charles Oliveira's team or if you were on Justin Gaethje's team or, um, I, I mean, there, there are several guys, obviously, that, that could be in this conversation. To see Michael Chandler come in, fight one time against a, a guy that's ranked lower than all those guys, and then to immediately jump the, the group and, and have that opportunity, I, I think all those guys would be pissed. So... Again, I think there are two different conversations to have. What do, what it, What's the max draw? I think that's Chandler. What's good for the division? I, I think maybe, you know, if it's me, it's Poirier, Charles Oliveira for the belt, and then you have Gaethje and Chandler fight, and the winner of that gets the winner of Poirier and, and uh, Oliveira, and there you go. All four of those guys in their next two fights then have the belt on the line. Yeah, I see exactly where uh, Dustin Poirier is coming from because you got to think of the road that he took yeah. to get to the title. It wasn't one fight against a, a guy that's ranked beneath him and then all of a sudden he's getting a title shot. He had to work. He had to fight so many different guys. I mean, all the wars that he had to go through just to get a one title shot right. at Khabib. And then he's seeing Michael Chandler come in here and fight Dan Hooker, a guy who, like you said, that he beat. And then he's, you expect him to want to fight him for the title. I mean, I definitely understand where he's coming from. And then Charles, uh, Charles Oliveira, he just beat Tony Ferguson pretty handily. One of the guys who, before the, J- the Gaethje fight, was on a 12-fight winning streak, who was a former interim champion. Right. Oliveira's won eight in a row. Yeah. He deserves that shot, absolutely. But then you got to think Justin Gaethje. He just lost to Khabib, who was the champion who's now walking away. He was the interim champion. Yeah. I mean, if... 
if Khabib would have retired before they fought, Justin Gaethje would be the undisputed champion. So, I mean, I think there's so many different factors to where a lot of different guys could have that title shot. So I definitely understand where Dustin Poirier is coming from, not wanting to fight Michael Chandler. If it were me, while I, while I do think that Charles Oliveira deserves a title shot, I would go uh, Dustin Poirier and uh, Justin Gaethje for the simple fact that Gaethje was the interim champion yeah. and Khabib retired. So I think you know it, it'd be easy to make that fight. But then again, Poirier knocked out Gaethje in his last fight. Right. So is Poirier going to want to take Gaethje? Or is he really leaning towards a a big money fight to, for the title, which he said he'll fight Connor or Nate, but for the division, I don't think, I don't really think that's right. fair for the, for those guys who've been working so hard at the division. And he's trying to fight with some of these guys who bring a lot of money, but who haven't really been putting in the work over the last couple of years. Well, that's the one thing. And, and you know that I'm a big Poirier fan. I, I just, I, I, uh, I, first of all, I love what he does outside of the octagon with the foundation and, and helping people. But you know, I, I think he's just one of the most entertaining fighters in the sport. Every time he's out there, it's just a, it's a great fight. So um, I, I I like Poirier. I'm a, I'm a fan of Poirier. But when he made those comments about Chandler, I was like, okay, like everything you're saying, I, it makes sense. I can get on board with that. Like I understand the reasoning there. But then if you're going to throw out Connor being the title fight, like for the same reasons that Chandler <laughs> shouldn't be the title fight, Connor shouldn't be the title fight. Once again, there are much more deserving guys that have had to wait their turn. And Conor McGregor just lost. Like, I, I, I just don't think when you consider the amount of guys right now in that division that are that good, if you're coming off a loss right now, I, I just I, I think that make somebody get it, have to win something before they get that title shot. So that's why I think it's a perfect situation to give Oliveira the, and, and Poirier the title shot immediately. You know, both of them are coming off wins. Uh, both of them, you know, have have really had to grind it out for a long time. Uh, and, and so you get a payoff there immediately for the people that say Chandler needs to earn it a little bit more, give him Gaethje. And then if Chandler beats Gaethje, there's no disputing that he doesn't deserve a title shot. None whatsoever. And same thing for Gaethje, right? Like he lost to Habib. So you give him Chandler and if, if he wins and gets back on the winning side of things against a a top five fighter, then, then he's right back in that conversation. And then, you know, obviously I think Connor can, can potentially fight once or twice, uh, to to maybe climb back into into that, but I just I, I can't see a scenario where Conor McGregor, who's one and two at one fifty five in his career, and just lost in knockout fashion in the second round to a guy, would immediately have a rematch against that guy for a belt. That just doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. That would be that would just be mind blowing. I don't I don't even know why you would do that. The UFC, if the only leverage that Conor would have as far as trying to get um, a third fight with Poirier is trying to build off of, I knocked him out. He knocked me out. We have to have the rubber back. Right. Other than that, I mean, and knowing that Connor's such a big superstar, uh, you put the belt on the line. I mean, the UFC would knows that, you know, that fight would probably sell a lot. So as far as money wise, I'm sure the UFC probably may consider, you know, maybe we, maybe we do put Destin in there with Connor for a third fight. And put the title on the line. But for the good of the division, um, you have to go uh, Poirier, Oliveira. And then you can go, uh, just like you said, Gaethje and Chandler. Because 
it it just all makes sense, right? As far as those two matchups, it's really easy. Poirier, yeah, yeah, it's it's really easy. Gage just come off a loss, and then you want Chandler to prove himself. Poirier just knocked out Conor McGregor. Um, he's definitely got to be the one fighting for the title. Who does he fight? He fights the guy who's on a uh, fight winning streak. So those two matchups definitely make sense. As far as Conor, you want to see him get back in there and win it. I remember I, I texted you after the fight and I told you uh, there's probably not a better time for them to go ahead and throw out uh, Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz. You know, Diaz has been talking about coming back and fighting at 155. Conor wants to get back and be active. I think uh, at this point you do Conor and Nate because you still want to keep that superstar uh, mystique above Conor. And then, you know, people were kind of talking about how nice Conor was um, going into the, in the lead up to the Dustin fight. He's not going to be nice to Nate Diaz. Him and Nate Diaz are going to, you know, they're going to go at it. Right. They're going to talk trash back and forth. And that fight's going to build itself. So um, if you want to give Conor, a, you know, a, a winnable fight that he can get back in there and win, uh, get back in there and get on the high horse again, uh, I think uh, Nate Diaz is the perfect matchup for him. And then, you know, you would go down the line. I mean, there's so many um, contenders. Uh, Tony Ferguson. Uh, where does he go? I feel like maybe you put Tony Ferguson in there with a with a Paul Felder type guy. But then I think or Dan like, Hooker, or Dan Hooker. Yeah, you know, but he, you know, he took off his gloves. You know, he kind of hinted that retirement a little bit with leaving his gloves in the octagon. So you kind of don't really know like where his head is. I think some of um, that is the fact that he he has to quarantine in Abu Dhabi for like 21 days after the fight, so he like can't even go home to see his family after getting knocked out in the first round. He's got to just sit there and quarantine for three weeks before he can go home. That's And then I think once he gets there, it's another week. Like, it's, it, I mean, it's a big sacrifice for him to do all this. And and so I think part of that's just frustration. Like, you know, I, I took this on and I took this massive gamble and I just, you know, I, I got caught and I got knocked out in the first round and I'm not going to reap any rewards. And now I got to go into a month of quarantine basically so I can go home. I think he was saying that uh, first week of March is going to be yeah. the the time he gets to get back to his family. I mean, that's Brutal. I can't even imagine, uh, especially after a loss like this, like kind of dealing with that just by yourself, kind of having, you know, time just to be in your thoughts by yourself. You know, you kind of wonder like how he's going to handle that. But um, yeah, being away from your family for that long. And it kind of seemed during the lead up, he was a little too, too happy, too relaxed. I mean, I saw an interview when he did say, um, I'm thinking about my family and, you know, I'm not going to be able to see them until March. But, you know, throughout the whole fight, he was real happy. He was smiling. You know, uh, DC was saying that he had never seen Dan Hooker. So, um, you know, kind of opened himself up. So I kind of just think he was looking for something to to latch on to um, leading up into this fight, you know, not seeing his family. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what happens next with Dan Hooker for sure. Yeah. Uh, if it's me, I, I I think the Connor Nate trilogy fight is always there. I, I don't think it's something you have to rush to do because you know again, like a year from now, regardless of what happens with either guy, I, I think it's still going to be probably the same as it would be now as far as a draw. Uh, you know, because you're going to hype up the two fights that took place before, regardless of of what kind of winning or losing streak either guy's on now. So. I, I just think that's always a card that you can have in your back pocket and play at any point. But I, again, because I think Connor is still a guy that is a force in that division, I think the, the fight to make with him is Tony Ferguson. And again, part of this is because I think they're both superstars. You may never have this opportunity with both guys again. 
And it allows you to kind of salvage one of the two because Connor just lost. Tony's got a, a two-fight losing streak. The winner of that is going to be right back in the picture, right? I mean, because their names are so big, the winner of that fight is right back in the title picture. Uh, whereas, you know, if if both of those guys go lose again to somebody else, I mean, that, I don't know. I think it's just, it, it, it's perfect to elevate one guy right back into superstar status. And obviously the other guy is um, in a lot of trouble, but, you know, that's that's the fight game. Yeah, and... I can definitely see that fight happening, uh, Connor and Tony. I mean, they, they've had some bad blood, too. Tony, he's so out there that uh, he's going to say some some stuff to Connor. Right. I mean, that, they're not going to be uh, cords or anything. So there's not going to be any pleasantries between those two. So um, I could definitely see it. Um, that's another winnable matchup for, uh, for Connor uh, because Tony hasn't looked uh, as good. Um, Gaethje pummeled him and Oliveira had his way with him. He hasn't won a round in, uh, in two fights. And yeah. we're used to seeing Tony Ferguson completely dominate. Uh, and sort of the same thing with Connor. You know, Connor struggled with Khabib, even though he did beat Cerrone. Um, Cerrone's pretty much, you know, at the end of his career. And, you know, how much can you take off, a, off of a, a fight that was so quick? So, I mean, I can definitely see Connor and uh, Tony fighting and, you know, stylistically they match up pretty well um i don't know if um i don't know how much tony would be trying to take him down um i feel like that would be a pretty good striking match yeah and tony's so awkward but then this gives you know connor a chance to get uh, a feeling back you know in in the octagon because tony's a volume guy yeah you know he's not really much of a uh, of a um big puncher uh or that much of a kicker to to, to be honest with you, he kind of he, he kind of he's more of a volume guy. So I mean, Connor's going to be able to, to land some big shots because Tony's so awkward right. and so out there. So um, I definitely feel like Connor could uh, could definitely get back on track with I guess a guy like Tony. But Tony Ferguson, he's no slouch either. Right? Yeah, I I, w- I just think that would be make the fight while you still can with those two guys. It's it that would be a massive seller. Um, I mean, again, both guys are still superstars, and and again, I, the winner of that is right back in the conversation. Uh, so you know, like if if Tony Ferguson, let, let's just use your example, beats Paul Felder, is Tony Ferguson back in the title conversation with a win over Paul Felder? I, I don't think that's the case. No. And you know, as far as what what's next for Connor. Would Connor like beating Nate Diaz, for example, even if it's at 155, does that elevate him back into the the title conversation? I don't know that it does. Um, whereas I think with with those two guys, the winner of that thing is walking away. I think with a bunch of momentum at, at the lightweight division. So I, to me, it's just a no brainer. And and like I said, those trilogy fights with Poirier and Nate Diaz, there's no reason to rush to them because they're always going to be there. I just I don't think that it's drastically different as far as the draw. If that were to happen now, or maybe a year from now, even if Connor loses a couple times, it's still a, you know, it's still a trilogy fight. And and look, the thing with Nate Diaz is he hasn't fought since 2019 and he's only fought twice in the last five years. So, you know, like it's, it's not like there's this expectation that Nate Diaz is coming into this thing all like sharp and, you know, on some massive winning streak or anything like that. Like it's literally, the draw is because of the first two matchups, and that's it. So those two matchups aren't going anywhere. They already happen. You can. I, I just think you can play that card at any point. 
Right. Yeah, I, I definitely see where you're coming from. I just thought, you know, Connor lost, he, he lost some fans. I feel like he lost a lot of fans, especially casual fans who don't really know the sport that much, who yeah. saw Connor lose and be like, oh, Connor's done. So I think I was thinking like, man, you put him back in there with an AD as the the um, interest in Connor comes back because yeah. you remember those first two fights. And with him losing, I just think it, it I just thought it was a, a winnable matchup for him to get back on track. Because I think a guy like Connor, he only needs he only needs one win. You get right. Connor Agreed. coming off a win, he just needs one win. And whether it's against Tony Ferguson or Nate Diaz, he's that big of a superstar where you give him one win, he's right back in the title contention. You could always give him uh, a title shot if he if he has that win under his belt. And he's kind of just going back and forth right now, you know, win loss, win loss. So he needs to get back on the horse. And then uh, Tony Ferguson uh, coming off two uh, losses like that, right? You're right. If he was to beat Paul Felder, he would definitely need another one, right? Yeah, so, for sure. But if but if he was to beat a superstar like Conor McGregor, that he only needs that one, right? And then he's right back in the title contention. Right. So I, I definitely see where you're coming from on that. It just it's the perfect fight to elevate either guy right back at the top of that division and right back into superstardom. And look, Conor. I don't think certainly, you know, some of the the shine maybe for the casuals wore off a little bit with seeing him get knocked out. But he's still a megastar. He's still going to be the biggest. I mean, even after that loss, I think he's still going to be if if there were a card next Sunday or next Saturday, I, I still think it would be a record setting type card. I just that's how big he is, win or lose. So um, maybe he did get hurt a little bit, but I, I just I still think he's such a massive star outside the sport that anytime he's involved in anything, people are paying attention to it. So I just think you can, you can elevate one of those two guys that are massive names uh, and, you know, play this 155 thing out even further uh, that it, it just, and, and look stylistically, I think it just, it'd be a blast to watch. Oh yeah. Connor and Tony, <laughs> would be, I mean, just those styles. And together, they would sell man. the shit out of that fight. Yeah, just imagine those two in the press conference. I mean, Tony Ferguson, he's so out there. I mean, uh, the stuff he was saying to Khabib, it, it didn't make any sense, but it just <laughs> made you want to watch the fight that much more. I mean, Tony was going all over the place, like, uh, you know, just bringing up things. And I'm just like, when, where, like, it, but, you know, and, and Khabib's just sitting there like, brother, like, you, you, could, you could tell he was kind of thinking like, yeah, this this guy's out there, so... And then he he brought a he brought a baseball to the press conference and he's got his shades on and everything so you know Tony's out there yeah. and then if he were to be out there with a guy like Connor I mean it would definitely sell so I mean just you know thinking about it now and just and then seeing those two in the octagon especially if Connor's back on his game as far as uh, being able to move and um, using his kicks and and uh, and that type of thing I mean it's definitely intriguing to watch yeah. Um, all right, let's uh, let's kind of look forward. We've got three cards in February. Obviously, like like we talked about earlier, no card this weekend, but we bounce back in a big way uh, on February sixth. The main event: Alistair Overeem, Alexander Volkov. Uh, look, anytime you get top ten heavyweights, I think regardless of the name, it's it's top ten heavyweights, and and that's a pretty big draw. And and I think the expectation is you're going to get some. I mean, you're going to get a finish, right? That's the expectation anytime you have top 10 heavyweights facing off. Volkov and Overeem, that's, a, that's as good of a matchup at heavyweight as you're going to get. 
because Overeem, he's been doing this for a long time. Uh, he's one of the most polished strikers in the division. But Alexander Volkov, he's six seven, and he's able to strike just as well as Astro Overeem. He's had some setbacks against uh, against Curtis Blades and against Derek Lewis. You know, guys who Blades was a is big with wrestling and kind of grappled him to death. And then Derek Lewis, he was winning the fight. He's dominating the fight, Lewis. right? Like, I didn't even yeah, think he, it was that close. Yeah, if that would have went to a decision, Volkov would have won three rounds to yeah. zero. But Derek Lewis came on at the very end <laughs> okay. and uh, got that knockout. It, it was it was incredible. Yeah. But Vol- Volkov is still very dangerous. Uh, he just He's coming off a win against, um, I believe he just beat Greg Hardy, or he just lost to uh, Curtis Blades. No, no, no. He just beat Walt Harris. That's who it was. Yeah, he beat Walt yeah, Harris yeah, yeah. Um, in October. So uh, he's coming off a win, and uh, now he's got he's got Overeem. And Overeem's looking to um, get back to the title shot. He says he's got one last run in him. Uh, he's looked good in his last few fights. They've been positioning him against guys who you kind of think they want the, the next generation to step up. Right. But Overeem has taken these guys, and he's pummeled them. And outside of uh, that that knockout against uh, Jarzinho Rosenstrike, he's looked incredible. And that was the fight that he was winning until Rosenstrike landed yeah. a haymaker, a Hail Mary. So, I mean, um, seeing these two uh, matched up, it's going to be a great striking matchup. Uh, I feel like Overeem might mix in some takedowns, but um, it's, a, it's a great matchup on paper for sure. Yeah, and then we have uh, – this is a sneaky good card, and, and – for that matter, I, I I just had this up yesterday morning, and as of yesterday morning, they they didn't have uh, the fight card filled out online yet, so I, I didn't know what was beyond Overeem Volkov. But um, Frankie Edgar Corey Sanhagen is the co-main number two, number four in in bantamweight. Um, you would imagine that the winner is uh, potentially getting the next shot. I know Peter Yawn talked about maybe Dillashaw being next for him over either one of those guys if, if he is to beat Aljo. But, uh, you know, I, I think either one of these guys uh, would be a deserving uh, number one contender with this win. That just goes back to what we were saying uh, a few weeks ago about how deep this UFC, the UFC is. I mean, there's so many guys at each of all these divisions who could be potentially, you know, the next guy in line. Corey Sanhagen's coming off a big knockout against Marlon Moraes. Nobody expected Corey Sanhagen to win in that fashion. A spinning right. uh, back kick, uh, nobody was expecting that. And Frankie Edgar's coming down from featherweight, beats uh, Pedro Munoz in a really, really tough fight. I uh, thought wait, Munoz won that fight, by the way, but it was close. Yeah, that it was really close. It could have went either way. Um, I couldn't. I think there was one round I just didn't know who I would give it to. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I guess I was just like, either way, you yeah. know, I'm not going to be pissed if it, if one guy wins over the other. But um, Edgar got the win, and now he's fighting Sanhagen. And, I mean, I wish that fight was five rounds because, I mean, just seeing those two guys just going three rounds, I don't know if we're going to really get to see who's better because I feel like these guys are going to go all three rounds, and we're going to be wishing that there was two more rounds because, I mean, just the pace that both of these guys – uh, brings to the table Frankie Edgar coming down from 45, who's been in so many title fights and seen it all. Corey Sanhagen's young, tall, seen it. Um, he slipped against Aljo, and he's looking to get back on on the horse. He beat uh, Marlon Moraes, 
and with the win against Frankie, I think he's right back in the title mix. So, I mean, this is a big one at 135, and I'm excited for that one for sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's again that could be that could easily be a fight night main event. I think absolutely. Um, I, you know, easily. I know that I know that maybe the the bantam weights and the fly weights don't sell great, and so I I kind of feel like there's some hesitancy to give unless it's a title fight to give either one of those divisions a main event. But um, and even featherweight to a degree, you know, it's, how many how often do we see a featherweight main event that doesn't involve uh, either like a championship fight or the number one contender? I uh, just, I don't feel like it happens too often, but yeah, I think this could easily be a main event on a fight night card, uh, and should be a lot of fun. Um, you know, the, the first fight of that night is also, um, two guys at 155. you know, that, that obviously are a little bit further down that we didn't mention in the previous conversation, but, uh, Ferreira and, uh, Dariush, well, I think that's going to be a great one too. That's going to be a phenomenal fight. And when, with the division so stacked, you become a guy when you're around the top 10, you become a guy who wants to break into that, into that glass ceiling. And for Freda, he beat Anthony Pettis. He expected to be, um, I'm sure he wanted a, a top five guy or something, but that division is so loaded that he, that he is where he is. And then Darius, we know how exciting that he is. I mean, his last knockout against, um, who did he fight? Um, gosh, Oh, oh, uh, Jakar Close. Uh, Jakar Close, that knockout, man, when he was looking like he was about to get knocked out and then he comes back and uh, gets that knockout, it was it was incredible. Um, that's got all the makings of being an exciting fight. Uh, Darius, he's always been a guy who's kind of hovered around that top 10. Uh, a win like this definitely breaks him into that. Um, yeah top seven, top six to where, you know, he can have potentially be fighting some of these guys that we named earlier. Yeah. By the way, uh, I'm not good at the Ferreira, the, the <laughs> roll in the tongue. So I just went full Oki and went Ferreira, but I, I know that obviously that's not the way to pronounce it, but anyway, For, Ferreira, 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 Ferreira. Uh, <laughs> Ferreira. we get the gist. Yeah. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. anyway, yeah, that's, so that is the sixth. And then, so two weeks from t- from tomorrow, actually, we're back to a pay-per-view card, which is awesome, uh, and another title fight with Usman Burns. Man, and then that's, an, that's another division that's just so loaded. I mean, these two guys, these are the two right guys that need to be fighting for the title. Um, Usman, you know, we know how great he's been uh, beating Kobe Covington in such a phenomenal fight, beating Jorge Masvidal, but... Gilbert Burns, his former teammate, I mean, he's came out, um, he moved up from lightweight. You kind of know, like, when the weight cuts is kind of being too much on a guy and they're getting knocked out by shots that you really wouldn't, you know, think would knock a guy out. And uh, he lost against Dan Hooker. And I think after that, he knew, like, I need to move up. And since he's moved up, man, uh, Gunnar Nelson, he's beat uh, Damian Maya, And then he destroyed uh, Tyron Woodley. And, you know, Tyron Woodley was ranked number one at the time. And with a guy like when you're Gilbert Burns, who was ranked like number five or six, you'd be the number one guy. You're becoming the number one contender. And they were supposed to fight last year in July. Um, but Burns got COVID and then Mazadol stepped in on six days notice. You know, they uh, Usman and Mazadol fight. 
Usman gets the win, and now I mean it's only it's only right that you go back to Usman and Burns. Yeah, it's a very intriguing matchup because Usman's a grappler, but Burns is a black belt, and he's one of the best jujitsu guys in the in the entire UFC. So Kamaru's gonna I'm sure he's gonna take him down, but you know how long do you really want to be on the ground with a a guy right. like Gilbert Burns, and then uh. Also, Gilbert Burns has been dropping people. He's been dropping Damian Maia. He dropped Tyron Woodley. So this is one of those matchups where you're kind of thinking, like, Usman might be, you know, this this might be really tough for him because, you know, Kobe was able to get some shots off on him on the feet. And, you know, Burns is knocking people out. So, you know, this is a, this yeah. is very intriguing. I think stylistically this is the fight that is most dangerous to Usman uh, as far as this title reign um, and you know, I, I think like Burns got this opportunity because he completely dominated Tyron Woodley and I'd be lying if I, I told, if I didn't say this after Colby did basically the exact same thing as Gilbert Burns did. Part of me was like, I mean, we, we literally went from Gilbert Burns is a top 10 guy to Gilbert Burns has to get a title shot because of the performance against Woodley. And then Colby basically like repeat you know like completely dominates Woodley and I was just like yeah I don't I don't I didn't know how to feel about the Burns situation after that because you know again not taking away anything from the performance it was incredible but we literally just watched another guy do the same thing against Tyron Woodley and and part of that I felt like has to be on Woodley because he just doesn't seem to want to engage at all so part of me is like I don't know that Gilbert Burns really deserves that at the same time stylistically, again, I think he's the biggest problem for Usman with, with the different ways that, that he could potentially win this fight. So um, I, I'm glad that it's happening ultimately. And again, there are a bunch of welterweights that I think are, are in line uh, to have their opportunities. But this one, I think, is going to be really entertaining. I, I think it's going to be much more entertaining than the, uh, the game-bred Usman fight was last summer at, at Fight Island, which I know a lot of people felt like was pretty boring. Uh, this one I, I don't think will be the same situation. I think it'll be uh, I think it'll be fireworks. And then um, Uriah Hall Weidman is the co-main event on this card. You've got Macy Barber and Alexa Grasso, uh, Gastelum and Ian Heinish in the middleweight division. Um, how about this one at bantamweight? Pedro Munoz and Jimmy Rivera on this card. I mean, that's one of those that I think is just a sneaky good fight. Man, that that whole main card, man. Yeah. that's a that's a that's a really sneaky good main card. Um, from top to bottom, man. Uh, Pedro Munoz and Jimmy Rivera. I think they're both coming off losses. Um, a win could get them right back into the um, into the mix at 135. Uh, Macy Barber. She's uh, this is her first fight back from that torn ACL. Um, she she was um, one of the fighters who you thought was going to be uh, on the come up uh, all in, of uh, 2020, but then she suffered that injury and. It's a real setback for her. And then she's fighting Alexa Grasso, who's got some really good um, boxing. Uh, she, I believe she lost her last fight as well. There's some just some good matchups. And uh, I don't. I, I think that uh, we lost Uriah Hall, Chris Weidman. I might oh, have read we? something. That I, I think we did. I'm not sure. Um, I thought I saw something that said that it, it either got moved or it's in jeopardy. Um Oh, you're right. Move to UFC 261 on April 24th. Weidman tested positive for COVID. So there you go. There it goes. COVID messing up stuff again. But still, 
um, Usman and Burns at the top of the card. I mean, there's like you said, there's not a, a better matchup stylistically yeah. for uh, for Usman. We're really gonna get to see like what happens when Kamaru faces adversity. I believe um, because we saw what happened with Kobe. We know that Kamaru and Kobe are really good wrestlers, so they're such good at wrestling that they were just gonna cancel out. So they just were like, we're gonna stand up and fight. Yeah, we're just time. gonna go Rocky style. Exactly. So it, it makes me wonder, like. Is Kamaru going to want to do that with Burns, knowing that if he takes him to the ground, his submissions are so good, but then he's got to worry about Burns' knockout power because at 170, right. he's dropping people left and right. So it's going to be interesting to see what Kamaru's game plan is for sure. Yeah, and then we close out the month with uh, the Blades-Lewis fight night, February 20th, which is also, I think, a really great fight. Yeah, and, and the heavyweights... This is the fight that really starts to, to bring us some movement in that division. Uh, it starts with uh, Overeem and Volkov, but Blades and Lewis, that really gives us a, a, some movement at the top because Blades is beating everybody um, outside of Francis Ngannou and the champion. You can't fight for the title right now because that's, Francis, that's where Francis is, and then you got John Jones waiting in the wings. So what happens with Blades? There's one guy who he hasn't beat yet, and that's Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis is... He's on, I believe, a two-fight winning streak right now. He's looked great in his last few fights. Um, we know what Blades brings to the table. He's going to want to grapple him. He's got a Khabib mindset as far as wanting to take the fight to the ground and maul people. Yeah. And then we know what Derek Lewis brings to the table. He wants to get the fight over with quick, and he wants to get that knockout. So it's going to be interesting to see the clash of styles. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if Derek Lewis can keep Blades off of him. Um, but Blades is relentless with the takedown. So... Um, Derek Lewis is going to have to have his cardio up and he's going to have to be able to um, stuff a lot of takedowns and see if he can land a, a big haymaker. Yeah. And, and you know, obviously with uh, the John Jones situation, all, you know, it, it's a, uh, you never know what's next, but certainly um, the winner of that, I, I think, is right there. I mean, you know, Blades, like you mentioned, is has beaten everybody. And Lewis, I, Lewis, I think is always because he's such a fan favorite. One big win away from being in in that that picture. Yeah, Derek Lewis. He, man, I remember after he beat Volkov, that post fight interview got him a title shot. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> with the whole with the whole my balls was fine, you know that type of thing. <laughs> that that comment got him a title shot, and he's such a fan favorite that you're right. One. Um, one big win big would win, get yeah. him back into the titles in contention. And, you know, I, I start to wonder if one of these guys wins and then, you know, stuff happens with Stipe and Francis where, you know, one of those guys kind of takes a while after they win. Maybe we see John Jones fight the winner of Curtis Blades and Derek Lewis, which would – both of those matchups would be fun. Both would be great, right? I mean, we Absolutely. would really get to see John against a heavy-handed heavyweight and we'd get to see him against a – Heavyweight that that is, I think probably. I mean, Blades is the best wrestler of all the heavyweights, right? Like it's a absolutely. Yeah, I, I don't Easily. even. I don't even think there's anybody close, right? Yeah, no, nobody's gonna attack um, the grappling exchanges as much as Blades. He's relentless. Yeah. He's gonna try to take you down, let you back up, and then take you down again, kind of yeah. like what DC does. I mean, his striking has improved, but we know he wants to uh, grapple and get you taken down. So. Um, John Jones has been great at um, not getting taken down. I mean, I think only like Gustafson and you know DC have you know right. gotten two takedowns on him in how many fights? You know, twenty eight fights. So um, 
Yeah, John Jones at heavyweight. There's some really fun, intriguing matchups out there for him. And if um, Stipe and Francis, you know, if something happens with them and they take and they're taking too long, I'm sure we'll see uh, John Jones possibly fight Curtis Blades or Derek Lewis in the summer. Yeah, no doubt. Well, look, it's it's going to be uh, an awesome month, and and March for that matter is is just as good. And and we're not going to look that far ahead, especially when you consider how many cancellations we've had to have uh, because of COVID. But uh, th- yeah, the next month is going to be awesome. Uh, by the way, you you are currently leading the UFC Pick'em with a 10-point margin, 17-7 to right now. So uh, (laughs) strong start for you. I got just destroyed in my my five-pointer this week. I felt really good about it, and uh, my five-pointer got KO'd. uh, Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm just devastated by that. I was was very triggered that night, very triggered. Yeah, I remember you texting me, and you said, and you said you were triggered, yeah. man. It was. I was pretty confident that Amanda Hebos would win too. Yeah. Uh, I didn't pick her as my five point, but uh, just to see her get knocked out like that when you saw how the first round was going, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she took her down, and it just seemed like that's the way the fight was gonna go, right? Uh, for the duration, and then all of a sudden, second round comes, and then bam, <laughs> it just changes just like that. Yeah. You know, we don't see people, uh, uh, women straw weights. With power like that, so yeah. I mean, I, I that one, I kind of, I kind of felt for you, man. Yep. I was like, damn. <laughs> I just, I, yeah. I, I mean, I looked at the fight. I was just like, he boss is going to dominate on the ground, and you know, it's this is an easy win. I, not that, not that right. it was an easy win, but I think like this is an easy five pointer for me because I just felt that good about it. And especially after, and here the kicker is that first round. <laughs> like that first round yeah. happens, and this is my, I know this is my five pointer, so I'm like, all right, like. <laughs> There's there's my five points done, you know, delivered. It's it's in, and then she just gets then, caught with that one big shot. I was like, no. Oh. And then you then you think like, because Herb was kind of about to stop the fight, and then he didn't. And then you know she got back up, and you kind of, I kind of thought like, okay, maybe she'll get back up, and maybe she'll just grab her. Right. But no, she, she was so wobbly at that point. Yeah, yeah it was. It, it was over. She was toast. Oh God, I was just, I was beside myself. And then, and then Dustin gets the knockout, and then I'm over here jumping like, yeah, let's yeah, go. Yeah. That's my five-pointer. Right. Well, and, and, you know, the other thing was, like, I felt like I was picking Dustin, so, like, I felt good because I was like, I like Dustin to win, assuming that I was going to be the only one between the two of us that picked Dustin to win. And then you went with Dustin, but you put him at the five-pointer, and I was like, <laughs> ah! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I thought that you were going to go Connor. And so I was like, yeah, I'm going to surprise him with this five-point right. for Dustin. So when you went with Dustin at three-point, I was like, ooh, see, yeah, he's going to be surprised at this. Yeah. Because I, I kind of like when we pick different, but right. I couldn't pick Connor. As much as I wanted to pick different, I was like, I I just really think Dustin's going to win this one. Yeah. Well, look, I, I think I read something like 98% of all bets that were placed in Las Vegas on that fight were placed on McGregor. So. Wow, we yeah. could have won some real money if we were actually I winning. know, right? <laughs> I know. Oh. But yeah, it was. Uh, I I felt good about that one, and then yeah, I, I again not to the five point level, but um, again because I respect Connor's knockout ability, I just didn't think that Amanda was in danger of getting KO'd. So right, um, I didn't. I didn't either. It, <laughs> to put that fight at five points, it, it's warranted for sure. Right, because I just yeah, I just didn't didn't really like anticipate at, at all that she was going to get knocked out. Whereas like with Dustin, even though I I like Dustin to win the fight. 
Like, Connor's easily one punch away from winning any fight, for that matter. So, you know, that's where my, my hesitancy was as far as putting that fight at the very top of my list. And uh, so when you went the five points on it, I was like, good Lord. This is just <laughs> worst-case scenario. P-Boss, you know, I just didn't think that that fight would be standing that much. Right. You know, I right. thought she would be looking to take her down at all points of the fight. If this fight's ever on the feet, she's going to be looking to take her down. Yeah. Um, but, you know, credit to Rodriguez because she knew, like, I got to try to, you know, get her out of here now or I'm going back down. So uh, it was it was definitely a haymaker yeah. or a, a Hail Mary at that. <laughs> and <laughs> it, it worked out for her. Yeah, it hit the button and uh, it was game over. And I was just like, ah! yeah, it was... There was, a solid, there was a solid like 15 minutes where I was like pacing in the living room and just like irritated. So yeah, I, I could I could feel the steam coming from your text <laughs> when you text me. I could I could feel it. <laughs> I could feel oh, it. Oh man! All right, my friend. We will catch up next week. You've got a 17 to seven lead in the pick'em. So uh, next Friday we will pick that uh, that awesome fight night card that we just talked about a few minutes ago. So it's been fun. Have a good weekend. You too, my brother. Will Brewer joining me on the Colby Daniels Podcast. All right, that is it for this episode of the Colby Daniels Podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products including Kratom, CBD, and the new Delta 8 capsules. Use the discount code COLBYSHOW when you check out online, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W. Discount code COLBYSHOW when you check out online at abotanicalcompany.com and that saves you 15% off your online order. So again abotanicalcompany.com at checkout discount code Colby show for 15% off your online order easy and safe pickup they have a drive through now open at their location so order online save 15% and pick up through their drive through very simple process and again great people that only want the best for everybody as far as their customers and, and just people in general that's what I love about them so much is they are absolutely dedicated to helping people live a better life. And that is their mission, is to help people live a better life. So uh, if you have questions, you can give them a call, 405-458-9699. But make sure you check out the website, abotanicalcompany.com, and take advantage of the 15% off with the discount code, Colby Show. Everybody have a great weekend, stay safe, and I will talk to you Monday. Podcast is over.